Let's authorize the Violence Against Women Act, which has been law for 27 years. The flag at the White House was still flying at half-mast for the eight victims of the mass shooting in Georgia, when 10 more lives were taken in the mass shooting in Colorado. In the 90s, we passed universal background checks, a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines that hold 100 rounds that can be fired off in seconds. We beat the NRA. Mass shootings and gun violence decline. Check out the report over 10 years. But in the early 2000s, the law expired. I laid out several of the Department of Justice actions that are being taken to impact on this epidemic. One of them is banning so-called ghost guns. These are homemade guns built from a kit that includes directions how to finish the firearm. The parts have no serial numbers. So they show up at crime scenes and they can't be traced. I don't want to become confrontational, but we need more Senate Republicans to join the overall majority of Democratic colleagues and close the loopholes required in background check purchases of guns. We need a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. And don't tell me it can't be done. We did it before and it worked. Talk to most responsible gun owners and hunters. They'll tell you there's no possible justification for having 100 rounds in a weapon. The country supports reform and Congress should act. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. We're not changing the Constitution. We're being reasonable. I think this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. I think it's an American issue. And if we truly want to restore the soul of America, we need to protect the sacred right to vote. Most people. More people voted in the last presidential election than any time in American history. In the middle of the worst pandemic ever. It should be celebrated. Instead, it's being attacked. Congress should pass H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and send it to my desk right away. The country supports it, and Congress should act now. Can I, if I have a, a moment just to add something. Uh, you know, when you talk about that history, uh, that history is clear. Who stood on which side at every turn in history? It is clear. It's not even in dispute. And it's not in dispute now. What we want is integrity. We, we don't want power. We want integrity. We want the right thing to be done. We want to encourage citizens to be responsible. We want to have the best election system in the world. In the world. Third world countries, places like India where the poverty rate is staggering. They have to show that finger when they go vote. It's time that we modernize our election system in this country and stop playing all these silly games based on race. And please, Stop using me as a black man as your pawn. And yes, I said it. Push your gym. I'm sick of it. On that note, welcome to your Friday detox. What could be most accurately described as a colon cleanse for your brain. This is episode 39. Uh, we got a lot to cover today, most notably, as you can see from the title, 
President Joe Biden gave his 100-day address to Congress, and there's a lot to cover there, but then there's even more to cover after that. And then uh, I'll leave you with a nice positive bow on top before you head out for the weekend. Um, so yeah, we're just going to jump straight into it, uh, jump straight into it. Uh, from that audio at the beginning, I, I felt like those were the two most important things that Biden really set the tone for uh, the rest of his administration. Um, or the rest of his uh, term, his first term. I did make a lot of notes from the from the address, though, some things that concerned me. Um, so we'll just start going through them. Basically, the, the tone was everything is okay. Everything is going to be fine because uh, Papa Joe's here. Um, everybody in the place was masked, which is hysterical because uh, pretty much all vaccinated from what I gather. Um, but Ted... Ted Cruz did take the opportunity to have his come and take it mask. So that was uh, nice. Um, at one point, so Biden got into it. Everything's better. Um, we got to we gotta keep wearing our masks. Uh, we got to be vigilant when it comes to the virus, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he, he, he decided after just a very calm introduction he he decided at some point to start banging on the podium and scream into the microphone microphone go get vaccinated america he did one of those it was really really weird um i think if anybody was doubtful of uh joe biden's cognitive status uh right now 100 days into his first term i feel like this speech told a lot from uh just a general uh, inability to, to seem or even pretend to be genuine in what he was saying. It was all, he was, he was reading it all. None of it seemed original. And the parts that did seem original where he maybe strayed from a, uh, a script or a written speech, it was him fumbling for words, him not knowing what to say, him trying to ad lib and failing. Uh, I, if, if you asked former president Donald Trump, what his opinion was, I would, assume he'd say something along the lines of low energy um he definitely he hinted to the great reset so throw your tinfoil hats on uh, if this was a drinking game i would say that every single time joe biden said build back better that you got to chug the rest of your drink and he said it at least once once that i heard he, he mentioned build back better and which is of course just a dog whistle for the great reset but uh, we'll cover that another time. Um, honestly, <laughs> towards the uh, towards the middle, I tuned out a few times. Uh, I, I looked in the crowd. I saw Ted Cruz sleeping. Uh, not really. Uh, but I, everybody there just kind of seemed to be tuned out. So I tuned out a little bit. But I did come back in when he uttered the phrase, trickle-down economics has never worked. And... There's been a lot of debate on trickle-down economics, if you're not entirely sure exactly what that means. An oversimplified version is when you've got your wealth producers, your job creators at the top of the economic food chain. Uh, They're the ones who are hiring. They are the ones who are producing enough cash flow to handle things like employer-provided health insurance and PTO and things like that. Uh, So trickle-down says you make it really easy on the wealth creators the job creators, uh, you make it really easy on them to produce more wealth 
and then that opportunity will trickle down to the lower ends of the economic ladder in the form of jobs, in the form of job security, in the form of better paying jobs, things like that. That is the theory behind trickle down. Um, you can, I'm sure there, there's there's plenty of data out there to support either support it or deny it um, or debunk it. But bottom line, the, uh, the tone of Joe Biden's uh, address was essentially we are we are no longer a capitalistic society. We are a Marxist society. Um, we've we've said for years now that eventually the the masks will come off. Um, from oh, I'm I'm a, I'm a sane rational capitalist, but uh, what was Joe? Uh, not Joe. Uh, George Bush. Oh, what was his uh compassionate conservative or some empathetic conservative or something like that. Anyways, the mask eventually was going to get taken off. Like, no, you're a progressive. And, and no, you're not a, just a progressive. Now you're a socialist. Well, not, you're not a socialist. You're a Marxist. And eventually the masks are going to come off. And it's just, no, we were just communists the entire time. Y'all were just too stupid to see it. Uh, so divided over stupid politics. Um, so that's where we're at. He, he's taking the steps toward um, something that resembles China, in my opinion, we're taking the steps towards not getting rid of capitalism, but rigging the game uh, in, in many ways to, to to pick winners and losers. And we're seeing that with things like the Great Reset and the, the mentality behind all of these barriers to entry. If you want to start a business, if you want to have a multinational corporation, there's a lot of hoops you've got to jump through that are not even business related anymore. It's all social justice related, which, of course, along with racism, uh, white supremacy, air quotes, white supremacy, uh, nationalism, all those things are now public health threats, uh, voting rights, all of these things are now public health emergencies. And, uh, we, we know that progressives love emergencies when they can call anything a public health crisis, like obviously a pandemic. Um, you start losing rights pretty quickly when that happens. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, in a little bit, but, uh, I did not feel good after listening to this speech. I absolutely went into it, one, praying for the safety of everybody there. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the reports, but there were reports out that no designated survivor had been selected. So uh, when you've got a joint session of Congress, you've got your Speaker of the House, you've got your Vice President, you've got your President, and you got many levels down on that designated survivor ladder, uh, all in the same room. Of course, January 6th in your mind, um, there is risk potential. And, and so going into it immediately, it was God protect these people, protect, um, a lot of, a lot of people there, a lot of innocent people. Um, so of course he wanted them, everybody to be safe. But then after that, uh, I, I tried to give him benefit of the doubt. I tried to say, okay, if he wants unity, let's unify. If he wants peace, let's be peaceful. All these things. Um, and I, I, I didn't get the feeling that he wanted unity or peace by the end of the speech. Um, I, I honestly did not. He promised a lot of tough uh, words. He said a lot of tough words about China. We'll see if he goes through with any of that. Historically speaking, I would not hold my breath. Uh, he put some pressure out there to pass police reform. Uh, the legislation sparked by the George Floyd, uh, well, I'll say murder, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, he said he wants it passed by next month on the anniversary of George Floyd's death. Of course, that got a, a standing ovation from uh, many people in the in the chamber. 
Um, and so we'll see what happens there. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. I hope it doesn't happen that quickly. I hope there is time for everybody to look into it and make sure that it is really what's best, not only for police, but for us as citizens. Uh, we're seeing across the country that where police feel they are being treated unfairly, they are, they are the scapegoat for these failed politicians, failed policies coming out of predominantly Democrat states, Democrat cities, and the police are receiving the full brunt of it from the mob. And it's not fair, obviously, and rightfully, rightfully so many police are leaving New York, uh, Portland, Seattle, um, Minneapolis. Police are retiring and quitting left and right. Uh, so that, uh, that affects the rest of the country in the fact that now we've got, we don't have enough police. And you'll, you'll even see, uh, if you just go down the YouTube rabbit holes, it's not going to stick out in front of you because obviously uh, the algorithm doesn't like it, but there's a lot of reporting coming out of these predominantly African-American minority cities where police are leaving. And the people are saying, we want our police. They are our protection. They are that thin blue line between those who appreciate and follow the law and those who do not. You know, it, it, you can't have, uh, you can't take away the people's ability to defend themselves with a firearm and call for defunding the police. You can't do both things at the same time. Not to say that every Democrat is in line with both of those things. I think that there are many, and we'll talk about some of them in coming episodes, who are waking up to see that the Democrat Party has been hijacked, hijacked by the radical left. The middle of the road Democrat doesn't have a home right now. But I think we can make one. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode. Uh, he says, we beat the NRA. C congrats. Uh, okay, whatever. Um, and he, he said, we beat the NRA when we passed the, uh, I guess it was a, a universal background check law, uh, early 2000s, I think. Uh, and then when the time came to renew it, it wasn't renewed. And because of that, we've got, quote, bloodshed, unquote because a gun control law wasn't renewed, um, which the statistics show we've got how many millions and millions and millions of weapons owned by Americans. If we had a, a serious issue with gun violence, I think uh, there'd be a lot more, lot more mass shootings, a lot more deaths than what we're seeing. Um, well, we'll get into the gun debate on another. I want to have somebody on who really understands that stuff and and, and knows the stats that have come out of um, credible sources. So I'm not just going to spitball that here. I'll bring somebody on who knows what they're talking about. Um, in, in recapping the, the speech, um, listening to different audio bites, I didn't see an olive branch at all to the right. Uh, you know, I remember in Donald Trump's probably his most famous State of the Union address, he he came out and he he brought up how this economy has lifted people out out of poverty. We've got uh, record low minority unemployment, record high female employment employment in uh in good paying jobs, and everybody stood up. Even even the squad, even the 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 feminists on the left who were all wearing their they were all dressed in white that night. They all stood up, and then Trump laughed with them. You know, hey, you weren't supposed to do that. And there was a chuckle in the room. There was nothing like that last night. There was no, like, 
breath. There was no just moment of calm. It was all, this is what we're going to do. And if you don't go along with it, you're a racist. If you don't go along with it, you're un-American. If you don't go along with it, you're just pro-rich, anti-middle class. Um, I didn't see the olive branch. I didn't see him say anything like this. I feel like would have been, he, he could have captured so much of the very middle of the road Republican vote. If he said something like, obviously everybody on the right, everybody who votes Republican isn't a racist. Obviously, just because you voted for Donald Trump, that, that doesn't, that doesn't make you a racist. So let's all come together and all that stuff. But if he just said those things, those feelings that so many on the right have right now of, I'm just living my life. I don't have time to be a racist, first of all. But second of all, I'm over here just working my job, doing what I think is best for me and for my family and for those around me. I'm not a racist. I don't hate people because of who they voted for or because of the color of their skin or any of those stupid things that, that we're being told divide us. If he had just given some, just a little feather of an olive branch towards that mentality, I think it would have gone a long ways. But nothing of the sort that I saw. I did tune out a few times. I had some wine with me, so <laughs> I was taking some snoozy, snoozy snooze. Um, but it, it was a is a unite or you know the 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 villain voice in the movies that you've seen you know, face your impending doom that that's doom 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 that's what i heard last night it was very very villainy just unite is such a, a positive word but i've never seen it used in such a threatening way so many times by either political party it's been weaponized like every other thing in the world right now it's been politicized just the word the sentiment unite has so much weight in it now. So much comes along with that. Such a loaded term. And, and it's sad because... Oh, i got to get through this. But the, the left, the far left, the radical left, unbeknownst, I believe, to the common sense middle-of-the-road Democrat. But I mean the far left has, has done a phenomenal job in recent years of seizing words that do well um, when, in regards to polling. Uh, words like unite. Words like middle of the road, words like bipartisan, words like infrastructure, um, words like packing the courts. They found these words that have big implications in, in modern society, and they've essentially rephrased them. They took packing the court from adding Supreme Court justices, and now they're saying that packing the court is filling vacancies in the lower level courts, which President Obama failed to do. Donald Trump campaigned on filling those vacant seats, which is the responsibility of the president. But that's not court packing. Court packing is adding seats. We've had nine for how many years now? Hundreds of years since our founding. That may not be true. I think it might have been a little bit lower early on and they added to it very early. But for at least a hundred or so years, we've had nine Supreme Court justices. And now they're saying, no, we need four more. And we're going to appoint four and, and Biden's first term. Like that is court packing. But they've done a good job of rephrase of of changing the definition. So we're not even speaking the same language as our counterparts on the left. Um and then he, he took a turn to what I would say is the most it was the scariest, most concerning part of his speech. It was his questioning. 
He didn't come out and say, America is the greatest country in the world. He didn't come out and say, um, American ingenuity, American freedom, free market principles, none of these things. He, he could have said, brought up how our medical industry has saved lives, has have brought cures. Nobody around the world created a COVID-19 vaccine. It was the United States. And now we've got, what, three, four vaccines that have all come out of the United States because of Operation Warp Speed under Donald Trump. Uh, and, and keep that in mind. You're going to hear people, and you probably already are, many people on the left saying that, that the, the, trying to credit the vaccine to Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't do sh- crap to achieve a vaccine to COVID-19. That happened under Donald Trump. So it, it, it matters, okay? <laughs> it matters. Um, anyways, I didn't see Joe Biden defending America. I saw him asking questions questioning um, democracy, questioning can a constitutional republic work? Can free market principles work? Can America work? He, he said things like, you know, the, the, they're questioning if, if democracy can com- compete against the autocrats or however he phrased it. Um, he never provided an answer that I heard. He just put the questions out there. And we're going to get into that really heavy towards the end of the episode, so stay tuned for that. All of these questions led to Biden saying that we must act, and we must act now. The world is watching. The world is not waiting. Blah, blah, blah. This is the impression I got from Joe Biden's address as far as solutions go. But he's got the solutions and the Republicans need to get on board. It reminded me of something. Uh, bumper sagging. Mm, I doubt that very much. This car is crap. I will buy it for next to nothing. How next to? Well, here are your options. You can sell it for parts, drive it off a cliff, you can donate it to a person that you'd like to see die in a car crash, or you can sell it to me, and I'll use it as I would a wagon on my farm. It'll be towed by a donkey. I have to pick one of those? Yes. Can you go over those options again? You know what? You knock $1,500 off the price right now, and I will take it off your hands. It's got to be now. Well, I have the deal. The blue book values. Let's do this thing. Three, two, one. Can I five, four, three, two. Now, now, now. Say it. Do it now. Do it now. Do it. Shake my hand. You will sell me this car. Shake my hand. Yeah. All right. Rock a doop a doop a doop bow. Sock a doo doo. Oh, what's Dwight up to? Oh, probably nothing. Rock a doo 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 doo. If you are not a uh, fan, is such a weak word. If you're not a member, if you're not a brother or sister in the the office cult, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you. If you if you know me or you talk to me about anything, uh, I've probably told you about just about every episode of the office. But anyways, that was uh, Dwight Schrute screwing. Andy Bernard out of a vehicle. So uh, the the sentiment behind what Biden was saying felt like what you just heard from Dwight Schrute. Do it now. We have to do it now. Do it. It's just, you know, just beating you over the head with it. You're a racist if you don't go along with this. You're a sexist if you don't go. You're un-American. All of these things that I feel like we, on the right, have to to defend ourselves against constantly. 
we're not given many options. We're given either you're a racist or you do what we want you to do. And I'm sorry, but that's not unity. But we've covered that before, so let's move on. Um, all joking aside, it felt like Biden's goal for the average American is complete reliance on the government. You know, bringing up union jobs again. He's been saying this all over the campaign trail since 2020. Good paying union jobs. Good paying union jobs. Good paying union jobs. Like, is there no alternative? Is there no, is there no job out there that pays an adequate livable wage unless it's a union job? Unless it's got some kind of government oversight? No, we've, we've talked about self-employment before. We've talked about keeping government out of gig work. Uh, we've talked about a free market. We've talked about financial freedom. It exists for those who want it. I'm not seeing a whole lot of desire for the average person to determine their own financial future. I, coming from the left, from the left, I see we want to make sure that, okay, if you if you want to make 50000 a year and you're only making forty, how can the government bridge that gap? How the, can the government come in and say, no, employee, you are being discriminated against. Employee, no, you are being oppressed. Your, your company that you're working for can afford to pay you more. So here's how we're going to make them. And then the company says, well, all right, well, now we got to pay out more money per employee. So uh, who we're gonna, who, who's, whose head's going to roll? Who's getting fired? Who's losing benefits? Who's going from full-time to part-time? I went through that. I'm sure many of you did too under Obama when Obamacare was passed. And now all of a sudden, if you're, quote, full-time, I think it was like 38 hours or 36 hours and up. So what happened? Many people lost full-time status. A lot of people would get to 35, 35 and a half hours and then, oh, you got to go home, bro. And then there, there were labor shortages because it'd be towards the end of the week. We have a rush, but nope, all the part-timers just got shoved out the door. So anyways, it, it was, we're coming up on that again, more weight put on the people who are creating jobs. And what are they going to do? Are they just going to say, well, I guess we got to close some stores so we can keep all these employees at full time and cover all their health insurance. Like, no, their focus is growing the business so they can hire more people, increase wages. Can't do that. If the government is is pushing you down, if the government is adding cost to you. Um, no mention of the border crisis. Couldn't believe that. No mention of immigration. No mention of these kids that are still, still in what used to be known as cages. Now they're what detention facilities or something like that. Immigration facilities. Oh. <sighs> And then uh, he talked about raising the, the federal minimum wage to $15. God, you know, I, I can't even understand the mentality behind that at this time. You know, for somebody who has said in speeches before, it's all about timing. And that freaked the hell out of me. But for somebody who has acknowledged the importance of timing, he's going in, in the middle, he would argue, in the middle of a pandemic, many would argue at the tail end of a pandemic or right after a pandemic, depending on your mentality towards COVID 
and getting back to normal, is now the right time to impose a, a burden of nearly doubling the minimum wage in some states? It makes absolutely no sense. Um, well, a lot about a federal minimum wage makes absolutely no sense, but I digress. Restaurants are finally opening up across the country. Finally. Many are still not able to open, but finally opening back up. And guess what? There's reports coming out now. They can't find workers. Why is that? Because people are un on unemployment. People who never would have gotten on unemployment before were told you cannot go to work. So what are they going to do? Not eat? Not feed their kids? Not pay their bills? So you have the government come in and do all these things. You can't be evicted, which I agreed with in in the middle of the pandemic. We're, we're past that now, I believe. Um, you can't be fired. Uh, you, you can't be all these different different things from how easy they made it for, for people to get on government assistance, which is great. But now they're extending it and extending it and extending it. And wanting to raise the minimum wage. So now what's the incentive to go back to work? What's the incentive to go back to normal? For many who don't want to work, the new normal is looking pretty damn good. Um, I'm, I'm hearing reports and seeing articles about uh, bank loans. Banks aren't giving out loans like they used to because everybody's so cash heavy. So a bank is cash heavy when the people are cash heavy. When you've got extra money, what are you going to do with it? If you don't want to just go out and spend it, you put it into a bank. And then the bank can use that money to give out loans. That The bank can use that money to invest. So right now, when there's all this money being put out there, the government is just printing and printing and printing money to the tune of trillions of dollars, obviously. People aren't needing loans right now. Because nobody's, you know, starting a business. <laughs> nobody's buying a house. The, the, market, the market is slowing down. So what are you going to do? Well, the, the banks are going to invest that money in the stock market. So who is winning from all of this COVID nonsense? It's not the American people. Because the American people don't need cash. The American people don't need to be on the government all the, the American people need to get back to work. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. The government's printing money, giving it to people who don't need it, at least not in the form of cash. So they're putting it in the banks. People don't need loans, so the banks are investing it. So Wall Street wins. And we wonder why Wall Street voted Democrat predominantly in 2020. Uh, my final thought, then we, we need to move on. Um, if America's as bad as the left and Joe Biden would, would portray it to be, why are they not more bold in just tearing it all down? If our system is built on racism, why is the left and, and, and these Democrats who, who are now beholden to the radical left, they're running for, for cover for fear of being labeled racist. They know the power that they've given the mob. Why even give benefit of the doubt to the average American Trump voter? Well, they're not. <laughs> I answered my own question there. They're not giving benefit of the doubt. But they're also not just coming out and saying what we all know that they, they, they want to say. 
And that is if you voted for Donald Trump, you are a racist. If you don't believe the things that we believe, you're a climate denier, you're a science denier, you want grandma to die from COVID, you're a racist, you're a se- uh, sexist, you are anti-immigrant. All of these things that they, they want to label us with and they are doing all but just labeling us like that. And again, I don't think the average Democrat voter believes those things. But the average Democrat voter is also not doing much in the way of being productive in fighting back against those things. They're just letting it happen because it hurts Republicans. So then they're freed up to do whatever they want to do while Republicans have to defend themselves nonstop. So we're seeing again that further dividing the country is their plan, is their goal. Because while we're fighting each other, they're getting rich. And that's all I got to say about that. Uh, we got some insane audio from uh, the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, uh, answering some questions from House Representative um, Chip Roy, who the left hates. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but he went into a line of questioning with Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson about election integrity. Listen to this. 36 states already have voter ID laws. That's what's being done. It's very specific. It's very purposeful. That's what's actually happening. Voting Rights Act punishes states for improving the processes they use to clean up and maintain accurate voting rolls. They're making that an actual element, and they're trying to compare that, making sure that voting rolls, which have currently massive numbers of dead people registered, people who aren't in the state, people who have moved, where you can't have faith in the voting rolls, somehow that is going to be made equivalent to the Jim Crow South for which the Voting Rights Act was so important in 1965. And it undermines the Voting Rights Act to suggest, as Senator Durbin did, that if you oppose Section 5 preclearance and you opposed the absurdity of basing Section 5 preclearance on 40-year-old data, that somehow you're against the Voting Rights Act. That's what happens. Those are the political talking points. And that is something that I've tried to bring up on on the podcast a lot, is choice structure. You've got choice structure coming out of political talking points where it's either this or this. Go along, unite with the Democrats, or you're a racist, or you're a white supremacist, or you're anti-American, or you're anti-justice, you're anti-whatever it is, whatever it is. Most of the time it ends up being racist. I don't know how, but everything's been boiled down to this public health crisis known as racism and white supremacy. Um we've been saying this for so long and yet and yet it seems like we get nowhere it seems like we're still having to, to defend ourselves against things that we don't believe in there is a middle of the road and it, it it seems like there's no voices that are loud enough in DC to 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 penetrate and 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 make headway We'll talk some more about that, but let's play the rest of this audio. We got about another three minutes, but it's it's very important, and I'm not going to interrupt it. So really, really listen in. And I would just ask my uh, our witness and, and the lieutenant governor from North Carolina if you could uh, help me understand: Was the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments to the United States Constitution passed and moved by Republicans or Democrats? Right. And was the movement to be my put your microphone on, sir? Uh, was that would the, be Republicans. Was the move for the 64 Civil Rights Act and 65 Voting Rights Act led heavily by Republicans or Democrats? Uh, that, that would be Republicans. And so as we sit here today, 
And as we're being accused by many of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle of wanting to somehow perpetuate the Jim Crow South, when in fact what we're trying to do is perpetuate laws that you can believe in that you've so eloquently discussed, do you see any merit in that whatsoever? Absolutely not. And just can I, if I have a moment just to add something, uh, you know, when you talk about that history, uh, that history is clear. Who stood on which side at every turn in history? It is clear. It's not even in dispute. And it's not in dispute now. What we want is integrity. We, we don't want power. We want integrity. We want the right thing to be done. We want to encourage citizens to be responsible. We want to have the best election system in the world. In the world. Third world countries, places like India where the poverty rate is staggering. They have to show that finger when they go vote. It's time that we modernize our election system in this country and stop playing all these silly games based on race. And please, stop using me as a black man as your pawn. And yes, I said it. To push your agenda. I'm sick of it. It happened a long time ago in this country, and I'm tired. Chairman, I would uh, ask that the witness answer the question. His time has expired. And the, that's not even the point. You know, like, I, I play that audio because it is so heavy and it is so important. It, it seems like so many people in this country don't hear that. But I don't want the, I don't want the takeaway to be that oh, well, Democrats were racist in the past, therefore they're racist now, and Republicans are completely innocent. No, that's not the point. The point is that racism is not the point. Racism, for the most part, has been eradicated from our system, from our institutions, from our psyche. People just want to move on. But we're not being allowed to because the term racist has been so weaponized not only in politics, it's been used in politics for years and years and years. But now in, in, in policy making and in just being able to be heard, to make your case, to oppose or agree with anything having to do with modern society and justice, that now as soon as you're called a racist, it's like no, nobody can hear you anymore. People are being silenced. And so the point is, we can modernize our election system with thought and with foresight and with integrity. And we can do it in a slow, methodical, um, audit-proof way where we, where we can just believe in the election. Because here's what's going to happen. Mark my words. If we don't get an election integrity, voter security, if we don't get this figured out, come 2022, maybe not 2022, maybe they'll hold their, their horses a little bit, but definitely come 2024, if a Republican wins, I, I don't know what's going to happen because all of a sudden the other side is going to believe in rigged elections. All of a sudden. All of a sudden, there's no such thing as voter fraud. All of a sudden, it only matters if there's enough voter fraud if it changed the outcome of the election. But all you got to do is get on CNN and say, there was no widespread voter fraud uh, and no voter fraud that could have changed the outcome of the election. So apparently, we just don't care about any voter fraud. That's the argument. Every vote counts in a constitutional rep republic because it's not... 
the implications of the vote. It's the vote itself. It's the citizen. It's that unique voice that matters. And if you're saying that, that we're, we're okay with an acceptable amount of voter fraud, what are you saying? We don't live in the past where everybody is, is having to raise their hand and cast their vote. We're, we're sitting behind computers and casting our vote. There's a way to make this transparent, auditable, verifiable, and secure. And wanting security, wanting voter ID to prove that when Bob casts his vote, that that was Bob casting the vote. Somehow, that's hearkening back to Jim Crow. What did Biden say? It's not Jim Crow, it's Jim Eagle. What the hell does that even mean? He doesn't even know. So, uh, I think we can move on now. (laughs) Um, uh, if you've never heard of him, there's a guy named Joe Rogan, got a very successful podcast and has literally interviewed every interesting person that you could think of at least once. <laughs> the, the dude is a monster when it comes to podcasting. Um, he fairly recently back in 2020 became a, a Spotify exclusive podcast, a video podcast. So now you have to go to Spotify to listen to it. You can find clips and stuff on YouTube, but for his, his show is hosted on Spotify. Um, but they like to silence voices that don't agree with their opinion of what is settled silence, uh, science when it comes to uh, the COVID, vac- uh, COVID virus. So Joe Rogan's opinion on the vaccine regarding young, healthy people, quote, young, healthy people getting the vaccine. Uh, they didn't like his stance on that. Um, so, so listen to what he said, because there's a lot of audio coming out saying Joe Rogan's anti-vax. Joe Rogan doesn't think that people should get the vaccine. And that's not what he said. So I, I want to give him a chance to defend himself here. Uh, and then we'll move on to some uh, a couple other stories and then the, the real focus of this episode. And people say, do you think it's safe to get vaccinated? I've said, yeah, I think for the most part, it's safe to get vaccinated. I do. I do. But if you're like 21 years old and you say to me, should I get vaccinated? I, I go, no. Yeah. Are you healthy? Are you a healthy person? Like, look, don't do anything stupid, but you should take care of yourself. You yeah. should, if you're if you're a healthy person and you're exercising all the time and you're young and you're eating well, and like, I don't think you need to worry about this. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. But there's a uh, lot of jobs that will tell you you need to have this. Well, that's what's look, starting to happen now. People are worried about them doing it for their children. And we talked about this earlier, yeah. There's that the, the, the you might have to have your, your children vaccinated. And you know, I can tell you as someone who's both, both my children got the, va- the, the virus, it was nothing. I mean, I hate to say that if someone's children died from this, I'm very sorry that that happened. I'm not... I'm not in any way diminishing that, but I'm saying the personal experience that my children had with COVID was nothing. One of the kids had a headache. The other one didn't feel good for a couple of days. Yeah. Like maybe, I mean, not feel good. Like, mm, like no, no big deal. No coughing, right. no, no, no achy, no like an agony. There was none of that. It was very mild. It was, it was akin to them getting a cold. Yeah, and you can have this thing where it's like you were saying this virtue signaling and this kind of like theatrical display of I get the vaccine, what a good person I am, I care about everyone. But you're like, look, my daughter's a lot younger than your kids, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not injecting my daughter with something to fucking virtue signal. Like, I'm not doing that. If there's something that she's of no risk 
statistically has no risk from. Right. I'm sorry. I'm not taking any experiment uh, on her in that. And that's that's my attitude. But it's it. amazing that that's controversial. Yeah. That even saying that I'm not going to inject my child with the vaccine is controversial. Yeah. It's crazy. Because, again, we are not talking about even the flu that we just found out killed 22,000 people last year. We're not talking about that. Right. We're talking about something that is not statistically dangerous for children. And that's really it. You know, um, I played a lot there because I wanted you to have the full scope of what he was saying. And and I get many people are going to disagree with what he just said. But hearkening back to what I said just a few minutes ago, we're not speaking the same language. I said this last episode, we're not watching the same news. We're not all getting the same facts. But one thing that just maybe a month or so ago, we were actually kind of united behind is the fact that the children are overwhelmingly okay with getting the virus, overcoming it, and being fine. Like, like why we don't want as many kids as possible, healthy kids, to catch the virus and get over it and further accelerate herd immunity? Like, why we're not pushing for that? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Neither is Joe Rogan. I get that. But neither are many of the people coming out and and bashing Joe Rogan for just having a common sense approach to this. Like, my kids got it. Wasn't a big deal. We're fine. I'm not going to get vaccinated. That's my personal choice. You know, like, there is a common sense approach to these things from either direction. Either you you are pro-vaccine for everybody or you you are anti-vax. Okay, there's two extremes. The majority of us are in the middle. But just like everything else, we're, we're, we're having to defend the, the fringe uh, elements of, of both sides. And it, it's, it's sickening, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, anyways. Uh, so a story that you should watch out for. Uh, on, on Joe Rogan, when you see people out there trying to say something about him, the, the reason why I play the, a lot of the audio is because I want you to be able to say, like, no, this was the context of what he was saying. At some point, we got to start speaking out. At some point, we can't just be the the go along to get along. Like obviously, I say every episode, be kind to each other uh, on social media and things. But being kind, being considerate, being compassionate, empathetic—that doesn't mean that you give license to everybody else to walk all over you. So that's the fine line you've got to walk. There's a way to stand up for truth without being a jerk about it. Practice that. Practice using your voice in an effective, positive, diplomatic way where you're not, not that you're going to change anybody's mind, but you're at least going to be able to, to sit well with your own conscience knowing I stood up for myself and I stood up for truth and I stood up for the American way. Um, so moving on, uh, I got some thoughts towards the police that I'm going to have to put off to another episode because I just don't have the time. Uh, quickly, Rep- Representative Matt Gates, uh, there's a story came out that his uh, like a business partner or friend or something admitted uh, to investigators that they both had sex with a 17-year-old. Uh, he said that they did not know she was 17. She lied to them and that it stopped until she was 18. Uh, and then they helped pay for college tuition bills, uh, plane trips, uh, trips in general, meal tickets, things like that. 
Um, so very scummy. We'll see if anything illegal happened, but that's something you should know about Matt Gates. And I feel like I have to say, because not that I've defended him, but he's a Republican. And so, Ooh, if you don't call out a Republican, well then you're, you're some hack, whatever. Uh, shut up. Anyways, so much to focus on. Um, the last 20 or so minutes of this episode, and I know we're already approaching an hour, so bear with me. Um, there's so much going on. How do we fix these things? Because what we're doing is not working, politically speaking. What we're doing, what we're focusing on, how we're, we're making our, our arguments, how we are defending our viewpoints, it's not working. Um, we're at this point in American history where we don't trust our government. Really, none of us do, unless it's, it's our guy in office, and then we want them to have all the power that they can that they can. Um, use. And that's the problem, right? But here's where I part with many on the right and uh, many on the left. I think that Americans still want unity. We're not getting it and we're not working towards it in many cases, but we still want it. Uh, We want to trust the system, whether it's the political system, the justice system, uh, our economy, our military, our border security, our elections, all these things we want to be able to trust, and we're just looking for the right amount of transparency and honesty coming out of D.C. where we feel like we can trust our institutions. But just like when a relationship is failing, um, when you start seeing those red flags, you're like, ooh, <laughs> this isn't going to go the distance. Uh, it's going to go some distance, but it's not going to go the distance. Uh, there, there's an expiration date here. Uh, you start building up walls. You start preparing yourself. All right, if this is going to end, how, how can I steer this ship to where we hit the smallest iceberg that's going to eventually take us down? Uh, where's the life rafts at? Um, and that's what we're seeing now, I think, in popular society. Now, there's already a fringe part of the country, January 6th, summer, summer, uh, summer 2020, uh, where there's already a group of people on right and left who believe the system is doomed, uh, burn it down, burn down the American plantation, and start from scratch. That's not the majority of the people, I don't think, though. I think the majority of the people are tired of hoping that the system will turn around and work for them. I think the people are tired of preparing for it to fail. And I think that that's exasperated by sentences like what Joe Biden had the balls to say to Congress when he said, we the people is the government. Quote, we the people is the government. And that's completely opposed to every tradition, principle, viewpoint, idea, sentiment, everything our country is built on. That, that sentence flew in the face of it. Because the government does not have rights. The government does not have a bill of rights defending it. The government has a bill of rights saying what it cannot do. Our constitution, our laws don't say the government can do this. The government is able to do this. It's the government shall do this or shall not do this. And we've gotten away from that. We've gotten to the point where our government's supposed to be, we're supposed to be able to show emotion through our political vote. We're supposed to be able to show our compassion based off of who we vote for. And that's not, that's not how it's supposed to work. 
And that leads me into the close. Um, little, some positivity I want to give you. I'll start with some quotes. Abraham Lincoln, quote, and this is a long quote, so bear with me. Quote, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Upon my knees, as in prayer. Quote, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. Now keep in mind, this is in the 1800s. This is during the Civil War. So the the country's been around for, what, 100 years? Almost 100 years? And he's recognizing already in that short amount of time, in those those difficult years of founding the, 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 the beginnings of our country, that were not easy. Here he is saying we've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined even in the deceitfulness of our own hearts, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. We've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us, then, to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high, and answered with blessings no less than the pardon of our national sins, and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. End quote. From the Bible, Second Chronicles 7, chapter 7, verse 14. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. What I want to take from that Bible verse and from the, the, the sentiment and the feeling behind the words I read from Abraham Lincoln is in that Bible verse, God doesn't say if a whole country or if a whole people will be humble. He says then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, who are called by my name. Now, maybe I'm missing from the original translation, but in in reading how it's put on paper in front of me, who are called, who are referred to by my name, Christians, my people who are who are recognized as being of me, of being of Christ, Christian, if those people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. 
calling out the fact that his people, we Christians, must turn from our wicked ways. What are our wicked ways? Where has the church gone? The church has gone in the direction of not giving a crap about Christ. The church has gone in the direction of how do we make Sunday morning sexy? We need more lights. We need more strobes. We need more fog machines. We need cooler instruments. We need better music. Not more faith-filled music, but better. It's materialism. It's pride. It's all of the things that God says he detests. And yet that is, that's the definition of the church right now. Less Christ, more people. That's why people hate people, uh, preachers like Joel Osteen, who I greatly respect. But people hate people like him because they see this grand church, well, what, a stadium? Uh, with the lights and the strobes and the fog and the music. And, and they all they see is entertainment. What they don't see is faith. They see a lot of effort but not a whole lot of faith in what they claim to believe in. And that brings me to my final point. I promise. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's tough to, to make sure I say the right words. Um, the United States has traditionally been the moral, morally superior country in the world. Not morally as in we're better than everybody, morally as in freedom, as in taking care of people. It's the sentiment that's, that exists today where we say, no, everybody should be able to get affordable health care. I get it. No, we shouldn't turn away kids at the border who are fleeing for their lives. I get it. No, we shouldn't let somebody and their kids go hungry because dad got fired or, you know, the vehicle broke down and now they, dad can't get to work to, to make money to pay the bills. Sorry if you hear the 600 dogs I'm surrounded by, apparently. Um, so I get that. I get all those feelings because they come from a good heart, I believe. But part of being moral is having boundaries. Part of being moral is understanding the why behind your moral sentiments. Right now, our moral high ground is being eroding internally. It's not outside threats coming in and saying, no, the United States is not moral. It's United, it's, it's Americans coming out and saying, no, we are not a moral country. And, and, and why does that matter? What's, what's the point? If the United States is morally superior in the world, which I believe it still is, then America first is morality first. America first is don't throw homosexuals off of rooftops in the Middle East. It's don't put Muslims, Uyghur Muslims, into re-education, torture, prison camps in China, in Wuhan. Morals say, I don't care who you sleep with. Morals say, I don't care who you marry. My Bible says I'm responsible for me. And as a man, I'm responsible for my household. I'm not responsible for what's in your pants or what you don't want to be in your pants or who you sleep with, who you wake up with in the morning. I don't care. Get married. Doesn't bother me. Decency first. Life first. 
forgiveness from our God and to each other. Freedom, mental freedom, social freedom, political freedom, financial freedom, justice, social justice. All these things come from a desire to be moral. And they're best accomplished by being a morally superior country. It's why we've come so far so quickly. But that, that moral high ground is being eroded. And that means if America is no longer morally superior, or morality is no longer an aspiration, then America first is oppression. So in order to claim that America first is oppression, they're working backwards. Stated goal, America first, Trumpism, is oppression, is white supremacy. So now work backwards, we need to erode America as being some morally superior country in the world and start making the claim that we're no better than the rest of the people out there. Now, as far as individually speaking, we are not better than the rest of the people out there. The people who are just living their lives in North Korea, the people who are living their lives in Russia, China, Iran, Israel. We are all humans, but government, politically speaking, it's night and day between the United States and many countries out there. Moral institutions that are overseen by more people produces trust in those institutions. And we are losing or have already lost trust in our oldest, most fundamental institutions. No, that's not the USPS, Joe Biden. It's the police. It's the justice system. It's our defense. It's our border security. If we don't trust our, sense, our systems to be impartial and fair, then our systems will break and are broken. To restore trust means to be trustworthy. And that circles back to being a moral people. You can't just go out there and say United States is the best in the world because we won the Olympics. You can't go out there and say the United States is best because we have capitalism. The United States has historically been best because we trust our institutions, because our institutions are based on morals, based on faith, and based on the notion that the government is not above its people. And that's a rare thing. Freedom of speech, a bill of rights, a constitution, didn't exist until the United States. And then everybody realized, wow, a bunch of freaking hick rednecks from the 13 colonies defeated the, the largest military force in the world at the time. We didn't have a navy. <laughs> the British had a navy. The French had a navy and helped us out. Thanks, French. But we defeated them, the British, with heart and passion and a burning desire to be free. And that extended to slavery, and it also extended to other countries with people who were oppressed and kept down by their governments. They realized... We need to make it as difficult as possible for our government to make us slaves. And in so doing, we will be free. So the challenge, do you live in a progressive area? Do you live in a California? Do you live in a conservative area? Do you live in a Texas or a Florida? We as millennials, 
I don't know if you're a millennial listening or not. I'm assuming most of you are millennials. Um, we are the next generation. And it's time for us to get involved. It's time for us to rip power away from Washington, D.C. and give it back to ourselves. Give it back to our local communities. Stop asking the federal government to tell you what the minimum wage should be. If you think it should be $15, make it $15 in your area. Prove it. Prove that it works. And then everybody else will do the same. Give the power back to our states. Stop letting a handful of assholes in Washington, D.C. tell the rest of us how to live our lives, how to spend our money. And for the sake of our nation, for the sake of unity, be a kind and moral people. I leave you with that. I want you to look into something called the National Union Party. Think 1860s. And we will talk about that on a further episode. I encourage you to get involved in local politics. I encourage you to know who your representatives are, to know who your senators are, and to know what they're doing for you or against you. And be kind to each other and be moral. Be the things you want this country to become. And in so doing, it will become those things. Be free. Tune in on Sunday. Uh, I will have a little inspirational message for you. And then uh, we'll see you back here on this coming Friday. Have a good weekend. Thank you.